This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the internationally acclaimed podcast, In Bed with Nick and Megan. Now, to, to clarify, it's acclaimed by what organizations? <laughs> None. Zero organizations. Uh, my mom. An organization in my mind. My mom is a big has fan. proclaimed it thus. Yeah, she has said some very complimentary things. Yeah. Uh, but, as ever, this and every episode stars, actually superstars, Mr. Nick Offerman, and only features, sadly, Megan Mullally. She's in a very small guest starring role. <laughs> but our illustrious guest star, real guest star this week is none other than Rob Hubel, best known for the immortal GIF where he throws glittery confetti up in the air. You all know it and love it. You've all used it many, many times. Yeah, that will. Here, I'll go ahead and reenact it right now. Uh, you can use this in your promo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Not, as, takes uh, me not back. as good. Not as good. Um, Rob, that will, Rob and when, I did. What? <laughs> well, I was just going to say when I die, they will play that uh, in the in memoriam thing. <laughs> They totally by the, will, though. By the time you die after a long, <laughs> healthy, rewarding life, it'll actually be uh, a hologram that <laughs> plays over and over again, floating above yeah. your, gr your grave chip. Uh, <laughs> Rob, uh, Rob and I did seven seasons of Children's Hospital, the television show. I, whenever uh, so many people are like, oh, you... Wait, you worked at a children's hospital? Nobody understands. There was a television show called Children's Hospital that those of you who are cool will know about. And Nick had a very memorable recurring role on that show. Um, and you and Nick together had some really good uh, scenage. Yeah. We were, yeah he, you could say, we could say we were partners. Yeah, we were partners. Um, we were cops. 
uh, back in before we were doctors, before I was a doctor, we were cops. And then I guess the story was that I decided to become a doctor. So the show made no sense. The show made <laughs> no. It was it, it really was nine eleven. You and I were first responders <laughs> at nine eleven, and and then we hit we hit the cop locker room at the end of the day. Um, and, and we couldn't. We got in an argument over whether it was September eleventh or twelfth. Oh, that's right. But nine eleven broke you. You threw in the towel and said, um, "That's it. I'm going to go be a famous pediatrician." But yeah, you guys right. were also lovers, but you didn't seem to be aware that you were actually like literally engaging in butt sex while you were debating whether it was nine eleven or nine twelve. Yeah, I think. I think that was that was a sort of implied maybe that we 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 certainly had a lot of affection for each other. Uh, there there was a. Um, there was a flashback scene I remember where I was giving you a prostate exam, and you know I, I yeah I feel like um, I feel like we kind of milked that scene a lot. Well, you guys, are, your green screen effects are are really funny because the the when you guys move around and lean back, you sort of disappear into the mist of San Francisco. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's hazy here in the Bay Area. I. Yeah. I still feel terrible about that prostate exam scene because um, I, I I kept messing up my one line and I don't know we ended up having to do it twenty four thirty times. Uh, well, I didn't understand why you had me come to your trailer to practice it so often. It felt like well, let's just figure it out when we shoot it. You know, we don't need to rehearse the prostate exam. Mm. But uh, you kept you kept wanting to rehearse it all the time. That's your improv chops, but I'm from the theater. I, I need to I need a technical rehearsal. You know, I need to run through it like a sword fight. Yeah, it just looking back now, it seemed kind of fishy, and it's something I should probably take up with SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. That's the union that I'm a part of. <laughs> um. So, uh, Rob was also on. Uh, well, he's been on many shows that you know and love, but I. Before we get into that, I I really feel like the thing we need to especially single out and highlight is the bit that you did in the restaurant for Rob Cordry's fortieth birthday. Wow! I well, will never. You probably don't. Do you even know what I'm talking about? I remember uh, very specifically only because. Um, I feel like I've had a couple of sort of cla like um, I've been very lucky with you guys in my personal life where I think I, I also was fortunate to be a part of a great bit at a birthday party of yours. And we can talk about <laughs> that, too. Oh, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Hubel's, Hubel's the birthday star. Yeah. But, That's um, true. <laughs> but yeah, so a couple like sort of pretty solid birthday bits. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, do you want to set it up or do you want to, you want me to explain it real quick? Why don't you explain it and then we'll, we'll expand. Yeah, I think the Cordry one was uh, Cordry's 40th birthday, I think, up in, up in um, wine country. And we all went up there for a big hoedown and a big party. And uh, we were all supposed to do um, some kind of little toast to him at uh, at this restaurant that that he had rented out or you guys had rented out. I can't remember. And um, my bit was that uh, it was going to be a a, a a slide presentation or like a PowerPoint presentation or something like that. 
And uh, it, it was like a video that I had made for him. And, and so I had talked to the restaurant manager and we had gotten like a video projector and all they had to do was push play and the video was going to play and it was going to be awesome. <laughs> so the whole bit was that there actually was no video and the whole bit was me <laughs> screaming at these guys that worked at the restaurant about how bad they were fucking everything up. <laughs> and so it started off really straight, kind of small, like, okay, guys, whenever you're ready, start the video. There wasn't I, even actually really a video <laughs> screen. No, yeah, you kept you kept pointing at so, like a light sconce like or some, some random piece of equipment. Like, monitors. all right, go ahead, guys, fire it up. So, <laughs> so there was a couple tries of like, okay, guys, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Okay, guys, can we start and the video, please? you're really excited about it. Uh, yeah, I was super excited. And again, like, the key to the whole bit was that everyone, no one knew what I was doing, and I was trying to play it totally straight, just, like, super slow burn. And also that it meant so much to you to be able to give this wonderful gift to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> that it didn't matter whatever anyone else had given him that this was in effect going to crush everything <laughs> yeah, this was like the best possible <laughs> tribute and so obviously you know there was no video and so it, it just became me going guys start the fucking video <laughs> you know I'd wait a couple seconds and then guys <laughs> Guys, you know, so then you finally, were so, like you were played, you were so kind of um, uh, disappointed, disbelieving, uh, humiliated and raging all at the same time. Yeah. So eventually it just devolved into me screaming at these poor, the restaurant manager who I didn't even know. And I, I had told him before what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to scream at you. Don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get upset. But I'm going to fucking rip you apart. And he was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that'll be funny. That'll be funny. And so and to all his, the waiters. Yeah. To his credit, they just stood there and took it oh. as this maniac was like, start the fucking video, guys. <laughs> You are ruining Rob Corddry's birthday. I'm sitting here with my dick in my hands in front of all my friends, and I look like a fucking idiot. And they just stood there and took it, and they just took it, and it was so fun. And I think people that were there for the party, you know, slowly figured it out. Like, what the fuck? Hubel is having a meltdown. <laughs> It was, I mean, it's, his, it, it's legendary in our house and it was the, oh, the man. audacity of just pointing at a random section of wall and with uh, the ultimate deadpan saying like with great import, like, okay, everybody, this is, oh. this is really special. Go ahead. It was the level to which you committed to it yeah. that I, I could never, I just, I could never do that. I don't have the balls to do something like that and I there, just was it was so funny but it was also just I just admired your commitment so much there's something really um 
fun about making something very uncomfortable for a lot of people when you know it's coming, but they don't know it's coming, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, like I, I've done that stuff on stage. I think Nick, I'm sure you've done bits like that. <laughs> like, well, Megan, yeah, sure, well, maybe, maybe not intentionally, but like I, I've intentionally done, you know, things like that, where it's like the, the theater of the uncomfortable or, or whatever it's called, <laughs> where your, your whole goal is to alienate the audience and then maybe try to try to get them back. <laughs> but it's really, it's fun to do, but it's also, it, it can be terrible. It could go, you know, if you can't, if you can't get them to laugh at the end of it, then it's just a fucking train. Yeah. Out. Yeah. The, 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 if, if it pays off, the risk is worth it. We, yeah. my, my theater company in Chicago did a bit one time called La Surprise Grande. <laughs> and it was just this weird guy named Will Schutz, wonderful, sweet uh. weirdo, sitting in a chair next to a table <clears throat> with an old-fashioned telephone. And the lights came up, and the phone began to ring. Just a normal, old-fashioned phone ring. Uh, you know, like old-fashioned, like ring, ring. And... And he he didn't move, and we just kept it going. And the audience started to say stuff. And it was an experiment. It's in, like, what will an audience do? And they started saying, like, hello, hello. Answer the phone. Like, they started talking to him. And finally, a guy got up from the audience, went up on stage, and answered the phone and said, hello. <laughs> And we said, strike! And all the lights went on, and we took the set off stage immediately. And they were the audience was pretty angry. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and then as far as, like, involved um, bits go, Nick, you orchestrated a very uh, elaborate bir surprise birthday party um, for Megan a few years ago, or I can't remember how long ago. And, and uh, I had, it was a while back because it was my 47th. So it was. Yeah, I remember I was in good. Was two years ago. I, I, I was in good shape then. So it must have been a while back. I was doing <laughs> I was doing CrossFit at the time. And uh, and and this involved me. Uh, well, wait, kinda, Nick should tell about. Yeah, the yeah, whole, yeah, like, yeah. Because it's such a great. It was really elaborate. Yeah. OK. Uh, Help, and I was help, definitely surprised. Help me out if well, I... Well, we came in through the garage. So it was it was a surprise. Megan got home from work, and I had set up... So it was like late afternoon, and she came in... No, you, you took me out on some bullshit errand, and then we came home together. Okay. okay. That's all I know. We, so we went out on some uh, errand, and we came home together, and... Uh, I feel like out on the little front sidewalk, uh, I can't remember where we met uh, four scantily clad. Oh, well, we got inside and men. all and our, the people were So we were got there. into the foyer. Everybody said, surprise. And there was like a, uh, a palanquin uh, for Megan. To, a litter, yeah. A litter to, ride, to be carried by f uh, four or maybe two. Is that, that, was that like the throne thing? It's like a big three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a couple of muscle dudes. <laughs> oiled we, up, like oiled up dudes carrying yeah. her uh, in on a throne. 
as, as one does. And, um, and as we made our way into the large living room area, all of our friends were uh, lining the two sides of the room and they all, and I think I must've had you like blindfolded momentarily. And when we revealed them, they all yelled, happy birthday, motherfucker. All right. And then we <laughs> turned into our bedroom where Hubel, we caught, uh, candidly caught Hubel in bed with on a, our bed with yeah. a furry. A yeah, fleshy, I think there were a couple a of furries that you had hired. It was, you know, for people that don't know what furries are, those are people that dress up, you know, in animal outfits, uh, and then you're legally allowed to have sex with them. And um, <laughs> these, so, 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 I guess you had paid a couple of actors or maybe friends of yours to come by and dress up in, in animal outfits. And I was in my underwear, and so I'm sort of like miming having sex with them on your guy's bed. And so, you know, you're sort of parading Megan around, or those guys are carrying her through your house. And she's just sort of taking in this whole menagerie of craziness. And so she, I, I remember she goes by the bedroom, and she sees me having sex with a couple furries, and then goes by another room, and there's something else crazy going on. And then there's like a mariachi band. And then there was like, and outside there was like a mermaid in a big uh, plastic bubble or something. Yeah, there was a fairy floating in a plastic bubble in the pool. Yeah. And then there, and then there are all those. Um, the wiggly, air, the, the wiggly, wiggly guys. air <laughs> things from like the used car lots. There were like five of them in the backyard dancing. Yeah, that was that was my favorite part. Was the this the ensemble of uh, of air sock men. <laughs> Yeah, and women dancing for Megan's birthday. Oh, it was so good. I'd been lobbying. I'd been sort of like dropping not very subtle hints for years that I wanted a surprise party. So definitely couldn't that one couldn't be topped, I don't think. That was a huge one. And I remember talking to the people in the furry costumes in the bedroom. Like, I think we were waiting for you to get home. And so, you know, I had like five or 10 minutes in the bedroom alone with these people who I didn't know that, you know, one guy's dressed like a squirrel, a girl's dressed like a chipmunk or whatever. And so we're just chit chat. <laughs> they were like, I was like, uh, how do you guys know Nick and Megan? And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, who? how, how do you know Nick and Megan? And they're like, Oh no, we just got hired. We don't know what this is. <laughs> Oh, I love it. So oh, funny. So good. Well, um, also, we should talk about Transparent a little bit because you were on Transparent. That was such a good show. That was a good show. Yeah. That was like, yeah. uh, I was really lucky to be on that show. <clears throat> I mean, that was one of those things where, you know, sometimes uh, you guys have been very lucky to be on shows that have like the best writers in the whole world, but like, I've, you know, for a lot of the shit that I've done, it's like, you know, kind of silly comedies and and stuff that <laughs> doesn't always add up. But um, but that show, Transparent, just had like the best writing and like the best like DP to make it look amazing. And uh, and, and you just, got to the, just play a regular, a normal person, which I always envy because I never get to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's really, um, that was a kind of a, a nice change of pace for me to play like an actual 
uh, human being, not some uh, asshole. Or I mean, I was kind of an asshole, but not really. But um, but you know, like a grounded person with real, uh, you know, feelings <laughs> and emotions and. Um, so, so that's always, that's always fun to do. You know, I feel like a lot of times we don't get to do that, but, uh, yeah, yeah. so that's, you know, and that show just like really resonated with a lot of people. And so for, for, for the kind of the first time in my career, I'd be walking down the street and people would come up to me. I remember one time I was at the, um, the Grove, uh, around like Christmas time and some mom came up to me with her like teenage son and she was like, Oh my God, you're on transparent. That's my favorite show. And she turned to like her 14 year old son and was like, this guy's on transparent and he could not have given less of a fuck. This kid was like, huh? <laughs> like just didn't fucking right. care at all. <laughs> yeah. But, I've um, had that happen. Time. <laughs> I, what I get a lot is people rushing up to me saying, Oh my God, my mom loves you. I'm like, yes. well, <laughs> well, you must love me at least a little bit to yeah. come rushing up to me with Isn't such Isn't it excitement. funny the things that people say that they mean well, but sometimes it doesn't come out, it doesn't come out very well. You know, like, <clears throat> like they'll come up and they'll say like something like that, like, oh man, yeah, my mom <laughs> loves you or. You um, look so much better in person. Yes. Yeah, I get that. I also get, um, wow, you look so tired. People say that to me a lot. <laughs> I hear that. I get, I thought day. you were taller a lot. I thought you were taller. Wow. Yeah, I thought you yeah. would be taller. One of my favorites that I, I feel like I get I get more and more um, is people say to me, whether I know them or they're strangers, they'll say, oh, hey, man, I saw your, uh, I saw your show. Yeah. And they leave it there. And you're like... Uh, thanks. <laughs> well, with you, you never know. You have like three, currently you have three different fan bases running because you've got the the main Parks and Rec right. fan base and then you've got uh, your live show. devs and then you've got um, uh, making it. So it's a completely different audiences even. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of crossover, but but what's also funny is when they just leave it hanging, like they don't say whether or not they like it. If they right. just say they, like, oh, I saw your show. Yeah, they dot, go to dot. the trouble of acknowledging <laughs> that you're, you're a performer that they've seen, and, but they don't understand the etiquette of like, <laughs> you should then add some sort of opinion. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So uh, Rob, today you had suggested that your topic – that you would like for it to be the supernatural or paranormal activity. Yeah, I um, I thought that maybe we could talk about some of that. I didn't know if you guys have any experience with the paranormal or anything scary or um, any of that. And I was thinking about... Um, one thing that happened that actually happened on the set of Children's Hospital, and I can't remember if you were there that day or not, but this was like um, one of uh, a spooky thing that happened to me on set. And um, should I just tell it real quick? Yeah, please. Okay. Well, when we were shooting Children's Hospital, we would always shoot in these real 
abandoned hospitals. And yeah, so, they were all really horrible. Yeah. Like super, scary and dirty and gross. Yeah, really scary. And you can imagine the the weird vibes you get in an old, empty hospital, you know, walking around at night. Because sometimes we would shoot at night also. So there's a lot of like weirdness just in general anyway. But um, one night I was walking to set and um, Nick, I think you had just done, it was that one we did called Ward 8 where it was like the children's ward. And, uh, uh, yeah, that one, yeah. I mean, that one was super, that was like a horror episode anyway. Yeah, so there was a lot of like uh, kids. We, uh, normally on the show, we didn't really use kids because it was just kind of like, it was just kind of a joke that we were in a children's hospital to begin with. We didn't really need the kids that much. But, um, but this one, there had been some kids around. So I got the, you know, I was in my room and they said, okay, come on down in about 10 minutes to set. We're getting ready to shoot. So I started walking and it was like way far away in this other part of the hospital where we didn't normally go. <clears throat> and I walked past this one room at night and I heard all these kids uh, hanging out in this room. I heard like little kids running around and laughing. And I specifically heard a ball bouncing, like a, like a little rubber ball bouncing. And I was like, oh, that's weird. We must be shooting with a lot of kids tonight or something. And so <clears throat> a couple minutes later, Malin came in, Malin Ackerman, and she was like, did you guys walk past that room with all those kids? And I was like, yeah, those kids are making a lot of noise. <clears throat> and then one of the producers goes like, what are you talking about? And I was like, the kids, we just heard all the kids that are like hanging out in that room. What are we shooting with the kids? And they're like, there's no kids here tonight. And I was like, I just heard a bunch of kids in this room. And so I went back to the room that I walked by, opened it up, and it was like totally dilapidated, old, uh, empty room with like the ceiling tiles were falling down. There was like a puddle on the floor, totally empty and creepy. Oh, my God. And it was so scary. And then the, um, the real-life janitor in the real hospital was working and I was like, what, what is this area? Like, where are we? And he was like, oh, this was like where all the kids used to hang out, you know, in these rooms and they would play when they, when they would come up out of their hospital rooms, they would go in this room and play. And I was like, ah! it no. was wow. so gross. Wait, but Malin heard it too? Yeah, Malin heard it too. That's the only reason I think I'm not crazy because Malin heard it also. Oh so unless we had joint hallucinations, <laughs> Something crazy was going on. Wow. So that's, I don't know if that's if you a got, good one. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of people having stuff like that or um or if you've ever heard of you know anything like that in, in where you've worked or um What about you, Nick? You don't seem like the No, I was gonna type. say this this is very much I think more Megan's wavelength. She has <laughs> she, she has channels that I I'm very much like a, I always say I'm the donkey in the house. I understand like carry this load over there yeah. and then you get a sandwich. Right. And I'm, I'm like, okay, great. I'll see you at bedtime. <laughs> and just to be clear for the listeners uh, who own donkeys, you shouldn't be feeding uh, your donkey a sandwich <laughs> if you have a pet donkey. No. Because the, you know, they can dangerous. choke, the, bre the bread gets all in their throat, it can choke them. Yeah. And they can become violent. <laughs> they can. Oh, yeah. Jeez. 
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So let's see. I mean, in terms of like ghost stuff, I have had a couple things, not as good as that one, but just where I saw things out of the corner of my eye. But also um, I had years ago, um, well, not that long ago, but maybe like five or six years ago, I went through a period where I would, I would be just falling asleep or just waking up and I would feel somebody sit down on the bed and I would open my eyes and there was nobody there. And I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean, but, and I can't remember if it was at a time when I was going through some stressful thing or something, but what about aliens? How do you feel about aliens? Well, okay. Here's a big thing for me. Um, great question. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I used to think that um, there has to be something because, you know, mathematically, the universe is so huge. Uh, There has to be some other intelligent life somewhere out there. And I still think that that is possible. I, I, I think that scientifically and physically, it would be really limited um, by our ability to find each other. And just because um, I don't know that any other intelligent being would be, we don't know whether it would be on our level or more advanced than we are or less advanced than we are. You know, it could be a planet of sludge or slugs, you know, somewhere. Um, but if there was like intelligent life, let's just say that there was like real intelligent beings that had the ability to make crafts that could fly through space for them to find our planet and get here. Like we're so far away from each other. You know, the universe is just so big. So I don't know. I also think I, I started changing the way I thought about this when Trump got elected because I immediately thought if there were aliens, Trump would be the first fucking person to say, oh, my God, there's aliens. You guys, you can't believe it. You know, and whenever anything was going wrong or the shit was going down, Trump would start talking about aliens to distract everyone. So because that hasn't happened, I now think that maybe there are not aliens in the desert in uh, Area 51 and all that shit, you know. Oh, that's that's a good. I like your reasoning. It's a fair point. I mean, my only thing with that is that 
a, a long time ago, um, I had a dream that was incredibly vivid, the most vivid dream I've ever had, where I was outside somewhere and I got picked up by a, an, I don't know, spaceship, for lack of a better word. And I, I kind of got like sucked up into it, you know, and I was taken and shown a lot of wonders and I had a feeling of bliss, a rapturous feeling. And then I was redeposited back where they picked me up and I woke up in a state of bliss. Wow. So, so, so that was a dream or was it like you were? It was a dream, but okay. it seemed so real. It was extremely vivid. And was there anything, the way you're describing it sounds like it might have gotten a little bit sexual. Did it get it all sexual? <laughs> no, mm. no, no. Mm-hmm. You were shown, you were shown. And I don't have any special, you know, supernatural abilities as a result. I would beg to differ. Okay, hey. blowjobs. I, look, <laughs> I think, uh, Sincerely, where I come down on both of these topics, like because it also gets into the things, you know, hauntings, the supernatural, all the the bullshit. Yeah, it gets into questions of the afterlife and and the soul and so forth. And uh, from my point of view, I'm always very aware of how ignorant we are, like as, as clever as we mammals are. It's 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 incredible the amount of things we don't know and will likely never know, and so things like, uh, let's say when when a person passes away, uh, if if the whatever our spirit or soul uh, is comprised of of the molecules, you know, the the supernatural part of uh, of our spirit. We we can never know actually if that if it's a reincarnation like some uh, religions believe or if it's something more ephemeral like you know literally part of you if you get planted in the ground then you do become part of the trees or the neighbor's garden or or a squirrel or what have you uh, and so I th- I think all those things are possible. Um, and I, and I think, uh, one of the most important things that keeps me sane is understanding that we can never know all the answers to it. Right. So, so like there probably were some remnants, some echoes of some children in that room that night, or, you know, in Megan's dream, there are probably, you know, there, there is some truth to it the exact nature of which perhaps we can't write down on one of our e-tablets. Right. <laughs> if, if, uh, if there are aliens and if they come here in like sort of a hostile takeover situation and they make us our sexual slaves, I am not going to be upset about that. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> And I will gladly pleasure, you know, however many aliens I have to. I don't know whether it's, you know, uh, one a day or two a day or if it's like a gangbang situation. Um, 
you know, or if it's mostly just like hand jobs. I, I don't even know. I haven't given it that much thought, but I'm ready for it. If it, yeah, if it just happens, let it, un- let it unfold. Yeah. I did have one other um, kind of spooky thing happen to me a long time ago that I can't explain. And again, just to be totally serious about this, I don't know that, uh, I, you know, any of this is, you know, real or I think 99.99% of this is just bullshit, obviously, and people trying to make money off ghost hunting shows and shit like that, you know, uh, which I think are hilarious. And um, But it, it is sad when people get ripped off and they start, you know, believing in dumb shit that doesn't make any sense and sending money to faith healers or whatever it is, you know. Um, but um, But I did have this crazy thing happen one time before I did any um, on-camera stuff, I used to work behind the camera as like a um, field producer and like uh, way back as like a PA on different oh, shows. That's right. Yeah. And um, so I worked for like, uh, I worked for Michael Moore for about a year and I worked at The Daily Show for like six months, but never that's on camera, cool. just like, you know, writing and setting up shoots and stuff like that. And um this one company I worked for when I was freelance, like way, way back, they were shooting this, um, this Halloween uh, stuff where we were going, they wanted to go and shoot in real haunted houses in New York, in New Jersey, and Connecticut. So my job one summer was to drive all around those states and find the most haunted places that would let us shoot there and we were going to we were going to shoot these these wraparounds with tim burton um tim burton it was for amc where back when amc used to just show movies and um and for halloween they just show scary movies the whole month of october amc would just show scary movies so they wanted tim burton to do intros and outros for these movies and all of these different haunted locations. So that was my job one summer is to go around and find these places. And um, so I had a lot of fun, you know, because I was like, oh, this will be really fun. I can talk to the people that live there and find out, you know, who had, you know, insane stories and stuff. So I heard, you know, a bunch of, you know, fascinating, spooky stories from people that lived in these places. And then this one crazy thing happened to me. We ended up shooting at this old farmhouse out in New Jersey. I forgot the name of the town, but it was out in like, you know, about an hour outside of uh, New York City. And it was this old farmhouse. And um, the family... Oh, I know that town. It's Arkham. Okay. And uh, so this family had had basically the Amityville horror happen in their house. Like all of their kids growing up had been completely terrorized by like evil spirits and like the kids were like it you know telling us these stories of like yeah when like now the kids were adults and they wouldn't even go back in the house like when i booked them to come shoot these inter- these interviews with tim burton they were like we'll we'll come to the driveway but we're not going in the house <laughs> you know so the kids were like freaked out as adults and like the son told us that one time he woke up and he was like floating above his bed and uh, it was crazy. And this daughter told us that this spirit like pinned her against a wall one time and just all this crazy stuff had happened. And um, so we finally kind of <laughs> figured out why this stuff was happening. And their father, it turned out, 
was like an amateur uh, archaeologist, and he had gone around digging up in his yard all of these bones, and he found basically a, a Native American burial ground in one corner of their property, and he had exhumed all of these skulls, like human skulls, and he dusted them off, and he brought them into the house, and he had them up in his attic, like real human skulls. Uh. And so this guy had just brought in all of this terrible energy into his house. And according to their kids, it had just traumatized them and all of this scary stuff had happened. So cut to years later, we're now there shooting with them. And, you know, the kids won't go in the house and they won't talk to the parents. And, and it, was, it was really uh, an uncomfortable situation. And so we go in the house uh, with Tim Burton to interview the dad and the dad takes us up to the attic where he had these skulls at one point at this point he had put all the skulls back in the yard and buried them except for like one skull I think he had like one human skull left so he takes us up to the attic and he's showing us everything and we sit down and we're doing the interview and we get to the part where He's explaining how he dug up all the bones and he took them all inside. Right when he starts explaining it, I'm sitting on the floor, like taking notes in my little legal pad, writing down everything he says, like a good PA. And um, all of a sudden, he starts explaining about the, this one skull that he took in. And I got um, this sudden jolt of electricity that surged through uh, the bottoms of my feet and it was like I had stepped on a live electrical wire. Like it just jolted me. And I was like, ah, like I screamed out because it fucking scared the shit out of me. And, you know, so they stopped shooting and Tim Burton's like, why is this PA screaming? And everyone's, everyone's looking at me. And I was like, you guys, I'm so sorry. I just got like zapped by <laughs> like a ghost or a spirit or something. So uh, so I still don't know what that was. It, it, it left me alone after that. And uh, we just finished the interview and everyone laughed. And um, the oh, worst. Oh, wow. So it didn't happen it was, to any of the other people. but Yeah, it just happened to me. And it was so weird. And the worst part about the whole shoot was at the end of the day, we wanted an exterior shot of the house, like a big spooky shot of this old farmhouse. And they put all these floodlights up on the house to light it up and make it look spooky and haunted. And they, we all go outside and they're getting this one shot of the house and they go, oh, fuck, we forgot. We left the light on in the attic. Rob, can, <laughs> Rob, can you go back inside and turn off that attic light? Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like. Oh my, really? This has to be me? Can, 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 De can Derek do that? didn't get zapped. <laughs> yeah. So I had to go into the house all by myself, go all the way back up to the attic, turn off the light, fucking run as fast as I can out of the Amityville Horror House. Oh. So oh it, my God. That's it was a good one. You've got good stories. Isn't isn't that the actual plot of the Amityville, Amityville Horror? Is it? I I think, I think it's at the end of at the end of it, you, they discover that it was because they were on an Indian burial ground. Something like that. Oh yeah, it's God. sort of like a fallback horror movie, uh, you know, uh, plot point. 
But yeah. um, but yeah, for sure. The, the, and I only can vouch for that one because that happened to me. But those are my only two uh, two sort of like weird sort of you know what unexplainable about psychic stuff. Do you ever have like psychic? Ooh, moments? that reminds me. Um, uh, June Raphael, Paul Shear's wife, gave me for my birthday a gift certificate to this woman that she swears by. And I got to find it because I don't, I haven't used it. But um, June gave me this, you know, as a birthday gift, uh, uh, like a session with this woman. And I've never used it because I, I haven't had, um, I don't think I've had uh, in, personally anything like that where, um, where I've met anyone. Um, I'm trying to think. So I don't know. Like, I don't know about that. Again, to Nick's point, I feel like that sort of stuff could be, could be real. I feel like the people that do it for money, that's, that's not real. I feel like if you actually had that ability, you would probably be like working with the sheriff's department to find dead bodies or, you know, something like that, solving crimes or something like that, you know? Um, I definitely feel like that stuff is real. I mean, at least for me, I, I have that stuff happen all the time. Just little things that I don't have any like, you know, crazy stories of, you know, psychic predictions that I made, but um, just little things. It's more like synchronicity, which I really believe in. Yeah. Um, yeah where you'll yeah. think of somebody and the next day you hear from them or you run into them, things like that. And um, the tarot and the aging and those kinds of uh, tools for divining sort of where you're at at the moment or what might be right around the corner with a certain situation. I, that's all synchronicity, I think. And I, I, I definitely think that those things are, can be very effective. Yeah. That sort of stuff is really, really fascinating. Uh, and, and I don't understand it, but to me, it seems like it could be real. You know, it seems like that there would be some people that just have a sensitivity to a channel that I'm not on, you know, and they can either, you know, I don't know whether it's, you know, if, I'm sure it takes various forms, but like whether it's like premonitions or, um, you know, just like kind of little flashes of things to, to sort of see, but you know, I've definitely heard of that where, where people are like, Oh my, you know, and I've had that happen where like, I was just thinking about this random person, not like my brother or like a friend of mine, but like a person from high school who I haven't heard from. And then like that person, you know, you know, sends me an email or something like that. Yeah. There's something to it. And it, it kind of shows that how everything is so connected. Um, I've heard that, that also with, with twins that like twins have, a, um, almost, um, you know, uh, solid mental connection where one of them completely feel like a trauma that the other one is going through or, um, fear or, or anxiety or something like that. With, but with I guess, haven't you had that though in comedy, especially you've done so much improv and stuff like that. Because I, I've had that happen a couple of times, especially in comedy, but, but um, well, in music too, where I've, I've had, I've worked in duos a lot and I've had what I feel like is pretty much a psychic connection with that person where we can anticipate each other's, um, you know, we can kind of, you know, 
play out jokes together or do things musically together that we haven't discussed in advance. It just happens in the moment. So don't, don't you feel that with improv a little bit? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, not to, um, not to overstate, you know, fucking stupid fuck around improv comedy, but like, yes, for sure. Like I've, you know, definitely performed, you know, thousands of shows in, you know, New York and LA now where, with the same people where you do, it's like, yeah, like you said, it's like music where you just get so in their mind and they know, they almost know what you're going to say or what you're going to do. Um, and certainly they know like what you, what you're looking for or what you're wanting them to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's a pretty cool, um, everyday sort of application of that. Yeah. And I mean, I would never, uh, disparage Im- improv comedy, even just, you know, hole in the wall, you know, crappy, whatever places, because some of the most amazing and funniest things I've ever seen have been, you know. Yeah. It, I don't mean like, to, I, I don't mean to shit away. on it. Yeah. I don't mean to shit on it at all. It's definitely like my favorite thing to do in the world. <laughs> I just, I, um, I, uh, I think sometimes when I talk about improv, like my wife falls asleep. My wife is like, shut the fuck up about <laughs> improv comedy, you know. But um, but yeah, like me and Manzukas can go down like a total nerd hole talking about old improv shows that we remember from New York, you know, yeah. like when we were first starting out. And like the other night before the before the uh the pandemic, uh, I, I had a show here in LA. This is like maybe three or four weeks ago now. And we were just kind of like nerding out afterwards talking. We were getting a beer and me and Manzoukas were talking about old comedy shows that we remember. And that guy can rattle off like shows that we, that we didn't even do, but that we saw. And he can remember other people improvising on stage in New York and he can remember like jokes that they did and moves that they made. And uh, I thought it was really interesting to see how his mind had cataloged those sort mm. of things. So, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff I think is really interesting and, and definitely a, a, as it applies to like, you know, any kind of like artistic thing like that or music, I think is so cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about like um, real psychic stuff. I wish I had more experience with that. I'll well, have to, f- Explore oh, that. Sorry. No, I was just going to say I'll have to find that gift certificate that June Rayfield gave <laughs> me. And oh yeah, I've got a lot of psychics. If you need any recommendations, I'm all over that shit. Um, before we wrap it up, though, please talk about Human Giant because there is some psychic phenomenon involved in that group. Um, yeah, Human Giant was um, the kind of like the very first thing I got to make comedy-wise. You talking about the TV show that we did? Yeah. Yeah. And you're associated, you know, just your partnership with those guys. Yeah. So, so that was, um, that came out of, uh, me and Aziz and Paul Shear and our buddy, Jason Walliner, who's a very funny writer and director. Um, that was all just us making funny videos in New York, like way, way back. And, um, we just happened to have, um, perfect timing where um it was right when like youtube was coming around and like people were making 
funny YouTube videos and like Dick in a Box was on SNL and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. So all of a sudden, all these like channels were looking for um, funny sketches. And um, so we were uh, doing a, sh a live show at UCB and showing funny, dumb comedy videos that Jason directed for us. And um, so MTV approached us and asked us if we wanted to do this show. And at the time I was like so old. I, I mean, now I'm really old, but I was like in my like mid thirties, like not at all the, uh, the demo for MTV. <laughs> and, um, and they really weren't doing much comedy at the time. They were doing like the Hills and, uh, and the, uh, all these reality shows, you know, and, um, but the guy that was running MTV at the time was a big comedy nerd. And he kind of let us do Human Giant as just a fun fuck around, almost for his exclusive pleasure. Like, I think he was kind of sick of, of uh, some of the MTV reality shows. And he thought it would be fun to have a comedy show by these like no name, like people didn't really know us yet. I mean, like maybe hipster comedy people knew us. People knew Aziz from doing stand up, I think. And, you know, but people didn't really know us very well at that point. And so this guy just let us do whatever we wanted uh, with the one condition that every week we had to go to his office and pitch him all of the sketches that we wanted to shoot that week. And it was really just an excuse for him to be entertained with some comedy. So we would go in and explain to him all these, you know, funny videos that we wanted to go shoot. And, um, so we were really lucky because in New York at that time, um, there were just so many funny people and, uh, we were able to, to kind of wrangle friends of friends. Like we didn't even know some of these guys, but we would have people come in and write for like, a day or a week on the show. So we had all these guest writers like Patton Oswalt <laughs> or like uh, John Glazer or uh, like Brian Posehn, like just all these really funny, fucking hilarious people. Wow. Uh, Nick Swardson, like just all these people would come in and pitch us ideas. And um, so we ended up just being able to collaborate with these guys and kind of like take uh, and I'm naming all these white guys. I'm sorry. I'm sure there were women also, but it was a long time ago. Um, but uh, but anyway, it was just a really... How, how long was that show on? We, we only did two seasons. We did oh. uh, one season in New York, and then we moved to L.A. so that we could book famous people as guests on the show. And that's how we, I moved to L.A. Oh. Um, and how yeah. did you and Aziz and Paul and Jason all know each other originally? We all knew each other from UCB in New York. Aziz mm -hmm. was doing um, a lot of stand-up, and Sheer and I had done a lot of improv and sketch together on stage. And so um, this was kind of uh, uh, just the first collaboration of the three of us. And then with Jason writing and directing everything, um, it just became like this perfect storm of... of um, of sketch comedy where, uh, and also with the, the blessing of this guy at MTV who got out of our way and was like, anything you guys want to do, you can go and do it. And so to this day, like so many comedy, you know, you know, there's like comedy fans and then there's hardcore comedy fans. Like most people don't even know what that show is except for like the hardcore comedy fans, like, and still on Twitter and Instagram every day, 
you know, I'm sure Nick, you get it with Parks and Rec, and I know Megan, you get it all the time with Will and Grace. Like people will dig up a line or a joke from like way, way back. Oh yeah. And they'll throw it out. And sometimes I'm like, wait, what was that? You know, I don't remember <laughs> even what the Mm-mm. joke was, but they have cataloged it. And, you know, like they ha- have really like relished that one episode or like that one sketch or that one joke. And I remember little things about other people. Oh, you know, like yeah. Catherine O'Hara from SCTV days and, you know, those kinds of things that they probably are... <laughs> wouldn't remember either you know some little little things like that can become so important and sort of seminal to your development as you know a performer in whichever or or in any you know line of you know that that to me i can say is the coolest thing about being in comedy is that um i am such a fan of so many other people I mean, it's like, Megan, you know, you're a musician um, and doing your music, you know, you're such a fan of so many other singers and bands. And it's like, I feel the same way with comedy. It's like, I'm such a fan. And so when you um, grow up watching or loving certain comedy shows or sketches or movies, and then you get to meet those people, you're like, oh my God. And they have seen something that you did. You're like, Oh my God. You know, it becomes so incredible. Yeah. It's, it's mind blowing really. Um, a a couple of, you know, the musicians I've gotten to meet and a couple of, um, you know, comedians like Carol Burnett that I've gotten to meet. I just, I can't, I still, to to this day, I can't get over it. Yeah. It's, it's bananas. And, um, and now it's so crazy because I feel like everyone, um, I don't know if it, if it was always like this, but I feel like now because of the internet, uh, everyone can kind of get to everyone else, you know? So now you have the opportunity to like, oh my God, what if we wanted to shoot this thing with this person? We could get, you know, whoever to do this, you know, someone knows how to get to that person. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I just grew up being such a fan of so many comedians. Like it's such a cool time to be alive and see people, and, and now, like, I'm trying to catch up on all the people coming up behind us, you know, that are like, yeah, there's so too. many fucking badasses and so, so many, many women, people. so many women are just like killing it. And, um, and I feel yeah. like for so long, it's been so many like white dudes, you know, just like in everything, uh, trying to white dudes trying to hold on to, you know, the power. And so it, it's just really cool now to see like, people of all different ethnicities and, and all different um, genders and, and getting a chance to to make their stuff and get it out there. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, we recently we were watching um, the most recent season of Shrill, and there's so many good, uh, so many funny young people on there and funny women, young women. Yeah, and I, um, there's this show on Showtime called Work in Progress that also has a lot of people I've never seen in my life. They're fucking amazing yeah it's it's very cool
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey, uh, b- before we wrap it up, Rob, um, when you were talking about your days as a as a PA and field producer, um, it reminded me of an amazing story you have that took place, I think, at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I had a little, I had a little mishap. Is is that something you can talk about legally? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can talk about it. Um, well, I'll I'll start. Um, um, I'll, I'll try to keep it pretty short. Um, but basically, um, right after, uh, nine 11, uh, I was living in New York and, you know, up and coming, uh, hungry comedian, happy to do anything to get on television. And I was doing a show for VH one and it was like one of those hidden camera prank shows and it was not very good. You know, it was, it was kind of, kind of low budget. And, um, uh, so the producers after, uh, I think about a week had passed, like nine 11 had just happened. And so, you know, no one was shooting any comedy or anything. And maybe it was like, uh, maybe about two weeks later, I'll say they were like, okay, it's time to start shooting again. America is ready for comedy. And I was like, okay. So they had the idea that, um, they wanted to send me and uh, a fake Michael Jackson to Yankee Stadium for the first home game back after 9-11. So very emotional game, very symbolic. Um, You know, what could be more American than the New York Yankees in the town where we were attacked playing baseball in our beautiful free country? So the smart people at VH1 said, well... Wouldn't it be funny if, Hubel, you went over there with a fake Michael Jackson and you pose as his manager and try to throw out the first pitch before the game? You know, have Michael Jackson come out and throw out the first pitch. That'll be hilarious. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. doesn't sound like a great idea. doesn't sound like great timing. But, but again, like, I was so hungry for success and just trying to make my mark. Who sure. am I to question the comedy gods at VH1? So, so we go to Yankee Stadium and um, – I'm dressed up in a suit like I'm Michael Jackson's manager. And they told me the only legal advice they told us before was like, you cannot legally say Michael Jackson. So you have to say the king of pop or the guy that moonwalks or, you know, uh, something other than Michael Jackson, because, you know, we can't legally say that. So I go to um, the main entrance at at Yankee Stadium and I said uh, and, and we were in a big limo and, you know, Michael's in the back. And I should also clarify that the guy that they hired to play Michael Jackson was not African-American. He was a a white guy, a German guy with kind of like dark hair pulled back into a ponytail. And he 
sort of looked like Michael Jackson, but not really. So they covered him up with a surgical mask, which oh in retrospect God. we should have kept for today. But anyway, <laughs> right. uh, so he's wearing an N95 mask. And because, um, you know, Michael Jackson went through that period where he wore the, the surgical mask everywhere. Yeah. So Michael's in the limo. I start bullshitting with the security guards and they're like, okay, look, if you're really with the king of pop, uh, you came to the wrong entrance. Come around to the secret entrance. We'll take you up to the press office, and you can talk to the to the people there. And they're like, "Why didn't you call ahead?" And I'm like, "Look, man, Michael is unpredictable. We were just driving by, and we he this is just something that he thought he wanted to do. He wanted to throw out the first pitch. And so, you know, the VH1 people thought they'll never get into the stadium. They'll never get past security. Whatever. They didn't know what a good bullshitter I am so they take us up to the press office in like the inner bowels of New York and I'm wearing those hidden camera glasses that that look kind of suspicious they're like you know I'm wearing like a fanny pack with the recording device and a wire up my back and and then these glasses so I'm recording everything you know and <sighs> so they take me up to the press office with this producer and they said, okay, well, we're going to call George Steinbrenner on the phone. We'll tell him that you're here with Michael Jackson. We'll see what he says. So of course, long story short, George Steinbrenner, they get him on the phone. He says, of course, we want Michael Jackson to throw out the first pitch. This is perfect. What a great day for America. <laughs> oh, so next thing you know it, instead of a hilarious confrontation where we get thrown out and I make some funny jokes or anything like that, they're like giving us hugs, telling us to go back to the limo, bring Michael Jackson around to the to the front. We'll sneak him down to the dugout. Uh... So... <laughs> They sneak us down to the dugout, and on the way to the dugout, we're passing security guards and people that look at Michael, and they look at me, and I heard one guy say, well, that ain't Michael Jackson. So I know that, like, people are, oh, no, they're not, everyone's kind of confused, like, well, that's not, that guy doesn't really look that much like Michael Jackson. So we get in the dugout, and we're shitting in our pants. I mean, at this point... I was like, I don't know what to do. How are we going to get out of this? You know, the only way to get out of this is to go through it. We have to have Michael go out there and throw out the first pitch. We'll just commit to this bit. Oh, my we'll, God. You know, we're all, we're all wearing these Michael Jackson glasses. So it was me, a cameraman, Michael Jackson, a real producer, and a real sound guy. So there's five of us. So right before we go out onto the field, the guys start coming in the dugout, the players. So it's like... Derek Jeter, uh, Joe Torre, the manager, and they look at Michael and they're, you know, they're giving us thumbs up, but they kind of look confused. Like, what the fuck? That guy doesn't really look. Is that supposed to be Michael Jackson? All of a sudden, this guy, a cameraman on the field with the Jumbotron films us and Michael is up on the Jumbotron and the whole <laughs> crowd is going crazy for Michael Jackson. <laughs> And so we're just about to go out on the field and all of a sudden these big security guards in suits come up and they all have the earpieces in and they're talking into their watches and they grab us right before we go on the field and they separated us and they started asking us questions and they're like, what are you guys, what's going on? This isn't the Michael Jackson, this, not, this is not what Michael Jackson looks like. What is this? What the fuck? And so I'm sticking to the bit. I'm in character. I'm like, guys, 
look, Michael Jackson or whatever I said, the king of pop is trying to throw out the, you know, get out of the way. Oh my God, Rob. <laughs> and so this producer, this producer that was with us started crying and that kind of gave it away that <laughs> something was up. And so all of a sudden we get tackled and handcuffed and they take us away off of the out of the dugout and uh, they take us to the like the little <laughs> jail where you go for like drunk people and like streakers and stuff it's basically like a big dog cage and they put us in this dog cage in the stadium and i'm like okay guys don't worry this will be fine you know <laughs> we're gonna be fine and meanwhile my camera glasses are still recording you know you can't turn it off and so it's just recording and recording. And so all these like cops are coming by to scream at us. And they're like, you fucking assholes. You know, you think this is funny? You know, I had friends in 9-11 and, you know, we're just like apologizing. And like, oh my God. finally, I was like, guys, I have to tell you, like, these glasses are still recording. I don't know how to turn it off. And I unbutton my shirt and they see all these wires. You oh, know, God, the camera. So I look like a suicide bomber. And so oh these guys are like, God. So end of the story is we went to jail on a Friday night. And if you go to jail on a Friday night, you know, you don't get out until Monday because, you know, because there's no court or anything. So we were in jail all weekend in the Bronx and um, they all the other prisoners found out about it and started going like making Michael Jackson <laughs> jokes oh. and they called us the Jackson five because there were five of oh us my God. <laughs> and I had to go to court for about a year. And the end of it is that I'm permanently banned from Yankee stadium. Oh my God. Wow. That's yeah. an amazing The thing story. I love about that story. I mean, it's harrowing, but the, <laughs> the root of the story is that, the reason it happened is because you're so good. It's because, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. you're the ultimate Fearless. bullshitter. Like you said, picturing you in a suit in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, like conning an entire Major League Baseball organization. <laughs> um, There's no one I would rather hire for that job. I, don't, go, don't go to jail I, in the Bronx. No, uh, don't. I don't go to jail anywhere. Um, listen, I don't want to, I, we keep saying we're wrapping it up, but I just thought of my one like ghost paranormal story. That's actually yes. pretty legit. Yes. I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. That, that this is one of those coincidences. We had to go down these synchronicity, different paths yeah, and twists. That's not synchronicity. Yeah. Um, all right. So, we either currently live or we once lived in a property that not the actual dwelling, the dwelling that, that I'm getting ready to tell you about was torn down and, and the, the dwelling that we live or lived in is new. But the property, there was once a dwelling um, that was lived in by Nicole Brown Simpson. Okay. Um, what? Sal. You're just, uh, you're just whipping out this story. I'm now. just whipping. I can't believe it. I <laughs> forgot this. Um, Hubel got to his feet. I, <laughs> I got to take my pants off for this one. Yeah, it's cuckoo. <laughs> so uh, 
anyway, um, Nick, you know, we have the age, the legendary age difference of 11 and a half years, not 12, but 11 and a half. And um, that's my that's a split on me and my wife, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cute. Um, you're beautiful and very cool wife. May Thank I you. add healthy split? Uh, so yeah. So, um, Nick missed the whole OJ trial. Like he didn't watch it. He didn't realize the impact of it somehow, even though he was alive on the planet at the time that it happened and he was a grown person. Uh, he was, you know, mid twenties, 1995. And, uh, he was doing theater in Chicago and they probably didn't, he probably didn't even have a television, but they really looked down upon any television whatsoever, as did we all at one point. We artists, we artists. We TV artists. Yes, we, we <laughs> famous TV artists at one, at one point all loathed television. Um, LeGrand so, Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. There you go. Nice callback. So, um, so he didn't, he didn't know anything about it. And I was, I would talk about it sometimes. This is pre us living in the dwelling that was once, uh, the property that, that Nicole Brown Simpson once lived on. And I would talk about the OJ trial a lot as this incredible, you know, sort of riveting event that we all went through together for months and months on end. And, a lot of us were glued to the television every possible waking moment uh, when the trial was on. And Nick always kind of um, turned up his nose at that and sort of said, oh, yeah, well, uh, I, don't, I don't think so kind of thing. Okay, so we get to the point where we move into this, you know, we've, 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 we are now living in this place that where the property was once uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's and um, actually it was, I think maybe owned by OJ. He had, was putting her up in this place. Right. And there are a lot of unexplained banging sounds coming from one, only one corner of the house, this one room in the house. And I always thought, what the is that? And I thought it's gotta be Nicole. It's gotta be Nicole. And she's pissed because Nick scoffs at the OJ trial. He doesn't believe that it was a big thing. And he doesn't understand about OJ and what happened to her. And so then a few years ago, all of those, um, documentaries were on, well, that the ESPN documentary was on about the OJ trial. And then that uh, you know, scripted series about yeah. the OJ trial. People were versus both OJ. on right at, around the same time. And we watched those and Nick was like, I remember we were like halfway through the first episode of the ESPN thing. It hadn't even gotten to like the murder yet. It was still just like OJ in a convertible, like Hertz rent a car or whatever. And Nick was like, Oh my God, this is like a really big deal. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Do you know about this? This OJ thing? <laughs> I was like, yeah, Nick, it's 
kind of what I've been saying. <laughs> so he got in, very engrossed in both of these things and became a, a believer and um, was very, you know, swept away and, you know, thinking OJ was pretty bad news and feeling badly about everything. And the weird, loud, random banging and knocking sounds in our house stopped. Wow. Never to be heard again. Wow. That sounds pretty legit. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Because why would they just stop if it was like the house settling or something with yeah. the HVAC or, you know, it it, it just... And I, I, I was just ignorant. I did like it wasn't so much that I was scoffing. It was more that I didn't acknowledge. I, uh, it went by me, and so I think that was what was offensive to Nicole was that I was like, this, this didn't register with me. This is not a story. I, I know. And she was like, Yo, recognize me, and I did and do. Yeah. And now we live in peace. We do. Wow, that's a great Hollywood ghost story, guys. Isn't that good? I that's have. a great Hollywood ghost story. <laughs> I love that I was like, nope, no yeah, stories. You got a good one. <laughs> Robbie. Um, you guys, I thank miss you. you. I miss you guys. And this, I will say, is such a joy to see other people and connect with them. I know. Yeah. And, you I know, normally, dear listener, uh, we normally, of course, do this in our actual bed and we have our guests in bed with us. But um, because of social distancing, we are not doing that right now. So um, it's nice. It is. We yeah. still get to see Rob, though, on our computer screen. So nice. And I also just wanted to say, Rob, that I, I just, you know, we love you. And I just always am so, I always think of you so th fondly because when we were doing Children's Hospital, you were always so kind to me. Aww. And, you know, you think, well, everybody's nice. But no, you always went out of your way to be really, really th thoughtful and kind and I just, I always think of you in that way. I'll second that. You have to sit there and take it. Uh, you're a great guy. Suck it. <laughs> oh, man. I really appreciate that. Well, you guys are literally two of my favorite people, not just in Hollywood, but just in general. And Megan, I mean, I do just have so many great memories of, you know, every now and then I'll talk to Cordry and get like all nostalgic about children's and stuff. And like, there are so many, I don't know if you ever go back and watch it, but like there are scenes that I will watch where I remember not being able to get through the take because of something that you were doing that was so funny. Like, and I'm not just trying to like suck your dick, but like, like I remember there was one scene early on where I didn't even really know you very well. It might've been the first season we did together where we had to go down the line and everyone was kissing you. Oh yeah. <laughs> everyone had to take a everyone had to take a turn kissing you. Um. And and it was just a quick little bit and Cordry, I think Cordry was the only one not kissing you, but literally you had to kiss like six people in a row. And men and, and women, yeah. Yeah, men and women, but it was one of those things where I was like I don't think I can get through this. Like it's so yeah. funny and you were playing it so straight. You were just like you would kiss everyone like so passionately and go, mm, 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 <laughs> Yeah, like, the joke basically was, uh, 
you know, I was the chief of all the doctors in the hospital and you guys were all working under me, so to speak. And so it was the kind of thing where all of your staff are lined up and you're supposed to go down the line and kind of commend everyone with a handshake or even just a nod of the head. But instead, I like Frenched everyone. (laughs) I, I agree that of all the things, uh, nothing makes me crack in in professional work than than doing a scene with Megan where she is expressing physical affection. Oh. She she commits to it so hard. That's the that's the thing I can I can do it in in where I'm supposed to be doing it. I can't do it like in a real life context or a improv context as much. But if it's scripted, I. I like to go really far and try to freak uh, the, the other actors out. Back it's to awesome. what we talked about. Yeah, originally. it's awesome. It's so fun to watch. And especially like, when, you know, it's one thing to watch it as a TV viewer, like where they pick the best take. But when, as an actor, when you're shooting it with another person live, <laughs> you get to watch this unfold in real time. And it's so fun to be a part of. So. Yeah, I just always had such a blast working with both you guys. You're just so fun to work with. Well, I hope we get to do something else together yeah. really soon. Amen. Speaking so. of, tell us where we can watch uh, Medical Police. Medical Police. Oh, the... yeah, that's a spinoff of Children's Hospital. Well, yeah. it's kind of a spinoff of Children's Hospital. Yeah, it's basically the same sort of universe as Children's Hospital. You can watch it on Netflix right now. And it's sort of like the happy version of what we're living through right now. They basically got so lucky when they wrote this show that they wrote it, this pandemic storyline where me and Aaron Hayes are trying to contain this crazy outbreak and it ends with us like kicking the ass of this virus. So it's almost like they were psychic, but instead of living through the current nightmare that we're actually in, this is sort of like the fantasy version that you could like masturbate to where doctors (laughs) are like, you know, uh, uh, Aaron and I are just like really stupid doctors, but somehow we end up kicking the ass of this virus. But yeah, so Medical Police is on Netflix and you can, and if you love Children's Hospital, you'll love Medical Police. Oh yeah, so many brilliant people. Um, Robbie, we love you. Thanks you guys. So I enjoyed nice. it Thank so you for much. getting in our virtual bed. Thank you, Rob. Okay guys, love you. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, 
If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy, the way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick.